Psalms 103, 13 through 18. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And it is placed, remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Want to welcome everyone here, especially those that are visiting with us. And um, one of the things that you might discover over the, the weeks of your visiting with our, our church family is that we're a church that loves missionaries. We, we support a lot of missionaries. We send a lot of short-term missionaries out into the world. In fact, we're really just kind of days away to... Um, uh, to sending some folks out to Taiwan, and we want to make sure that we're praying for that mission team that's going to be there in July, and then the next one that's going to go out in September. We also want to recognize missionaries when they come and are part of our worship assemblies. And Mike and Liz Mazalongo, who have been missionaries in, in uh, Montreal and other places, are with us today. We'd like for you guys to stand to be recognized by a church family. We always want to recognize the people that God sends to, to places to do His to do His His will and to to plant the church. Uh, this morning, we're going to be thinking about fatherhood. And I'm, before we pray, I want to read a poem to you. This is a poem that uh, was introduced to uh, uh, not too long ago. Uh, a poem by Stephen Dunn that is uh, a poem about BBS and a poem about children and about parents and about the formation of faith. It was supposed to be arts and crafts for a week, but when she came home with the Jesus Saves button, we knew what art was up, what ancient craft. She liked her little friends. She liked the songs they sang when they weren't twisting and folding paper into dolls. What could be so bad? Jesus had been a good man and putting faith in good men was what we had to do to stay the side of cynicism, that other sadness. Okay, we said, one week. But when she came home singing, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, it was time to talk. Could we say Jesus doesn't love you? Could I tell her the Bible is a great book certain people use to make you feel bad? We sent her back without a word. It had been so long since we believed, so long since we needed Jesus as our nemesis and friend, that we thought He was sufficiently dead that our children would think of Him like Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson. Soon, it became clear to us, you can't teach disbelief to a child. Only wonderful stories. And we hadn't a story nearly as good. On parents' night, there were the arts and crafts all spread out like appetizers. Then we took our seats in the church, and the children sang a song about the ark and hallelujah, and one in which they had to jump up and down for Jesus. I can't remember ever feeling so uncertain about what's comic or what's serious. 
Evolution is magical, but devoid of heroes. You can't say to your child, evolution loves you. The story stinks of extinction, and nothing exciting happens for centuries. I didn't have a wonderful story for my child, and she was beaming. All the way home in the car, she sang the songs, occasionally standing up for Jesus. There was nothing to do but drive and write it out and sing along in silence. Let's pray. Father, of all the things that we have to be grateful for, it is Your Gospel that brings us into Your love that we are so extraordinarily grateful and thankful and appreciative of. That relationship, Father, that You have established in Christ Jesus is what makes everything in the world matter. We are grateful for the words, Father, that make children beam. And that help us to understand how to live in love and give hope to the dying. We pray, Father, to to be a church that is visionary enough to see as far as the next generation. And to see the importance of the transmission of what it is that we believe deep in the core of our heart and soul, Father, to be true And how important it is to transmit that to children. To all people, but especially to our children. And so on this this day, Father, in which we think about the greatness of Your fatherhood to us and of the privilege of being fathers to children, we pray that as we think about these texts, that You will give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said. The poem I I just read, I I think, is one of the best in illustrating the disconnect that can take place between parents and children when it comes to the formation of faith. And And there can be lots of reasons for that disconnect. But when we think about our own culture, our own church body, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, The disconnect, when it happens, and if it happens, happens through time and erosion. Do you know childhood doesn't last forever? Uh, I performed a wedding, another wedding in Austin last night, and one of the themes, as everybody, especially the adults and the parents, were getting up, where did the time go? Where did the time go? Just, it seemed, uh, a minute ago, we were raising these children, watching them be born, helping them to learn how to dress and to ride a bike and all of that, and now they're starting their own families. Childhood doesn't last forever. And those years of childhood pour into adolescence. And what happens as as time moves on, families get busier and busier with the time demands that involve sports and academic activities and school plays and musical concerts. And none of these things are evil in and of themselves. They are very, very good things. But somewhere between learning how to ride a bike and choosing a college... God can and sometimes God is pushed way down in the list of priorities. 
Now, when I, I look at the fathers in our own church family, I want you to know just how proud I am of the job that so many of you are doing. Uh, recently, in fact, it was uh, uh, within the last week or so, Children's Ministry had an event called uh, a Teddy Bear Picnic. And that's not exactly the kind of thing that a He-Man thinks about when he's, when he's, he's going home from work. But one of the great things that Seanette, uh, our, our children's director, did in arranging all of this and getting it all uh, set up and organized and letting all these, these folks know about it, there, you know, this teddy bear picnic is taking place. And what a pleasure it was to, to stand at that front door as all of these fathers, all of these fathers were showing up. And you know how they were showing up? They were showing up in ties and they were showing up in their work clothes, which meant that they did not even take the time to go home and to change into something more comfortable. What they were showing up with were their work clothes. They had gone straight from work and were coming up here to be with their wives and to be with their kids and to be with their families and to do this faith transformation thing that's so important with kids. So fathers, let me remind you of something that you already know and that so many of you are doing well. It's up here on the screen. I want you to write it down. The priority of Christian fathers is to teach the priority of God to their children. That's it. In fact, fathers, just the fathers, I want you to say this with me. The priority of Christian fathers is to teach the priority of God to their children. Guys, let's say it one more time with, with some gusto. The priority of Christian fathers is to teach the priority of God to their children. One of the legacies you leave behind is the authentic, genuine, thoroughgoing, growing, and visible commitment that you have as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. That's your legacy. Everyone knows what a legacy is. It's the gift that you give to the future. A legacy is the gift that one generation passes to the next. And your legacy is a legacy of faith and commitment and discipleship and adoration of God and, and the following of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the top of the list of things that you leave your children is a robust and dynamic and vital faith. Which brings us to a really special text that we find in the Old Testament in the book of, of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 4, we read in the first eight verses that when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take, a, take up a stone on his shoulder, it's a pretty big stone, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a what? As a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Now, this story has a history. It has, uh, it has um, uh, a story to the story. Forty years earlier, Israel had arrived at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13. They're ready to enter the promised land. And they decided that one of the best ways to do that prior to going into the land was to send some spies out to figure out 
where the vantage points were and what the enemy looked like and what the produce of the land looked like. And the spies come back, as you know, after 40 days and they give a report of the land. They say that the land flows with what? Milk and honey. But, they say, we are not strong enough to take it. We're not strong enough to take it. We better go back to Egypt. Why in the world would God bring us all of this way only to deliver us into the hands of our enemies? God cannot fulfill His promises. And God becomes angry and He wants to destroy those people because of time after time after time after time after time again. He has proven to them His love and His commitment and His, His faithfulness. And now they're just, they, they, are, they are not just disrespecting His promises, but they are disrespecting His holiness and His integrity. And Moses intercedes and Israel is saved, but they're going to wander 40 years through the desert while a faithless generation is, is buried in the desert. And now they're on the banks of the Jordan River. They're ready to take the land. And Joshua wants the people to do something. And he tells them, I want you to take one man from each of the tribe. And as you go into the water where the, where the priests are standing, I want you to get a good sized stone. One that you're going to have to put on your shoulder. And when you get to the other side, to the place where we're going to lodge tonight, I want you to pile those stones up right there. And everybody's looking at other and going, you know, why in the world with all of this other stuff that we've got to carry, why do we carry stones? And Joshua says, this is going to be a sign. Now, everyone knows what a sign is, right? I mean, every, everywhere you go in the world, it seems today, there are signs, especially if you drive. There are, there are stop signs and deer crossing signs, pedestrian signs. There are all kinds of signs. And what the sign tells you is don't look at the sign. Look at the reality down the road. A sign points to the fact that there is an important reality down the road. Now in this case, it's pointing beyond the parting of the Jordan to the faithfulness of God in, in, in removing any barrier that there might be to relationship with Him and Him fulfilling His promises. Now why do it? It's sort of odd when you think about it. Why do that? Well, it's not really all that odd when you see what it is that God is doing. It's not just a sign. It's a teaching device. That the children would see it. They'd see this big pile of stones, 12 stones, and they would see it and they would ask, what in the world does it mean? And the fathers would tell the story again and again and again. And the fathers would explain what that story meant. There was something really important about the generations remembering the works of God among His people. It was more than, in, than just history. It, it was more than just story, but it's the transmission of faith. Generation to generation to generation. It's a way of not just telling the stories, but telling the stories in such a way that they describe God. That they make God alive in the hearts of children. So in the time that we have left, let me give you three things, three suggestions that will help transmit faith from generation to generation. And we're going to use this phrase. It's up here on the screen. Build faith activators that remind your family of the faith that you want to pass on. Dads, build faith activators or, or faith triggers, something that activates faith, that activates those, those conversations that remind your family, primarily your kids, of the faith that you want to pass on. Now, we're going to break that down into three pieces very quickly. The first one is this. Build faith activators. There are lots of opportunities for spontaneous conversations about faith. 
When you read and tell stories to your children, questions naturally arise. And that's a great way to interact with your children. And kids are always asking questions. There's a recent study in the United Kingdom that said these are the top five questions that a thousand moms have been surveyed over. These are the top five questions that they get from their kids. Why is water wet? Where does the sky end? What are the shadows made of? I'd like to know that one myself. Why is the sky blue and how do fish breathe underwater? The same study revealed that on average, four-year-old girls ask 390 questions a day. Does that surprise anyone? But notice that Joshua commands the people to do something more than just tell the story and hope for a conversation to develop. Israel is to take the time and to make the effort to pile up 12 stones the size of which had to be put on their shoulders. And again, that would be an incredibly weird thing to see in the ancient world before there was such a thing as abstract art. And you know what abstract art is, right? I mean, we were up in Austin doing a wedding yesterday, and there's all kinds of abstract art all over the place in Austin. And I found myself going, what in the world is that? What does that mean? What does that mean? And as the Israelites and anybody, for that matter, is going through the world at that, in that ancient time, they would see these 12 stones and it would catch their eye. And people walking along and stepping around these stones on the ground, all of a sudden come up on these 12 stones that are heaped up and they would ask, what in the world is that all about? And someone would explain that this has to do with our identity as a people who have faith in the promises of God. That this is a reminder of the way that God works in the lives of His people every day. That God is real. That God can be trusted. That God is somebody who makes promises and keeps Him. That God is, is, is one who is faithful from generation to generation to generation. And then someone else would say that it is a reminder that God really parted this river in flood season. And that... In, that uh, in, in, in parting this river, there were over a million people that were able to cross it into God's promises, into His promised land. Now, believe it or not, we do the same thing today. I mean, look up here on the screen, and do you recognize where that picture was taken? Where is it taken? Top of the AT&T Center, right? Now, why do the Spurs do it? I mean, it's something similar. They're just putting championship banners up there. Why do the Spurs do it? To let the visiting team know where they are. That's why they do it. To let the visiting team know who they are up against. And we do this all the time. It's an important part of the faith legacy that you leave your children. Now, it might be the words of, of a Scripture that you have framed up on a wall. I have a really good friend who um, uh, over the years has uh, collected a lot of grandkids. And he is a man of prayer and he is a man of faith. And you know what he did? He wrote down all of those prayers that he prayed for all of those grandkids. And every time he did that, he, he would write it down. And after a while, he had a collection of, of prayers for each of these grandkids. And what he did is he had them all bound into a book. And when those kids turned 18, he gave that to them and said to them, these are the prayers that I've been praying for you and for your faith and for your, your spouse somewhere in the future, if that's God's will, for your mission in life. These are the prayers that your grandmother and I have prayed. We are a people who believe in God. And every time you see this, know the faith of your grandparents. Know the faith of your parents. 
It can be any number of things that activate a conversation, that trigger a conversation, that stimulates the mind and the storytelling and the explanations to help your kids understand that these are not just facts. We're not just memorizing the the names of important people in the Bible, that these people have a story, and their story is our story. And their story is a story of faith, and it helps us to continue that story as a life of faith in this age and in this society and this culture in this day. So we build those faith activators that, number two, remind your family of the faith. I want you to circle that word remind. Man, memory's a funny thing. I, I'm at that age now, and, and uh, you know, sort of the, the middle-aged years. You know, they say that that's senior adult years. And that's kind of become a debatable thing. Uh, but I'm in that, that age group where I can remember something. I can remember something that happened in the first century A.D. Like the, back of my, like the back of my hand. I can remember something that happened in the fourth century B.C. like I was there. But I can't even remember what I had for lunch yesterday. James Dobson says that about the time your face clears up, your mind gets fuzzy. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm identifying The Apostle Peter knew very well how easily it is to forget even the most important things in life. How easily important truths can slip from our mind. And that's why he said in 2 Peter chapter 1 when he's writing to the church, it's sort of his general letter, he says, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort, I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to what? To what, church? To remember these things. You know, some of the stories that my kids remember best and remember most are the stories that we told over and over and over and over again. What are the things that you remember about your family? Not, not even in a religious uh, vein, in a, in a, in a, with a religious flavor. I mean, what are the things that you remember about your family most? It's the stories that were told around the table over and over and over again. You heard them so many times that you could even finish the sentences. You knew where the story was going, but you were reminded every time you heard them. And you loved listening to those stories, especially if you had somebody in the family that was a great storyteller. You loved those stories and what they did is drilled those truths and those events and those sayings and those words deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. And so reminding, not just doing every once in a while something that activates a conversation, but reminding over and over again, this is who we are and this is what we do and this is who God is as a supreme value, supreme character in all of the universe. And then the last thing is the thing that you want to pass on. We want to pass on the things of faith that stick in our kids' memories. Now, just from a very personal standpoint, I have two generations of pictures of me preaching from this very pulpit drawn by kids. I have one of them uh, as framed in my office. There's a picture of me with big glasses and curly hair. I asked this one kid, I, but I don't have curly hair. Well, that's the way I drew it. And then there's all of these circles down at the bottom. It, that's to represent all of you. And I'm saying there's this balloon that comes out of my mouth that says, and all the church said, and then there's all these balloons that come out of these little circles down at the bottom, and the church said what? Amen. 
for the past 14 years, when somebody has gotten up to, to read Scripture, it, there's been a reminder that these are not just myths. These are not just words. These are not just fables. They're just, you know, these, this, this is more than just human words. What is it that we say at the end? And Andrew did it this morning. What do we say at the end of every Scripture reading in this church family? This is, this is God's Word. For the past 14 years, every class that you've heard me teach, every sermon you've ever heard me preach, we start with a prayer, and in, in that, that prayer, there's a phrase taken out of Isaiah and other places. It's what? Eyes to and ears to hear. It's unbelievable how things can stick we do them enough and explain them enough and talk about them enough and, and, and allow others to part, participate in them enough. It's unbelievable the things that stick. And there has to be reputation, uh, reputation, repetition for something to be indelibly etched upon the heart and the soul and the mind. But first you have to decide what it is you want to pass on. And that is going to be your legacy. So fathers... That's the question this morning. What is going to be your legacy when it comes to the faith? And in wanting that to be your legacy, what are the things that you're actively doing on a daily basis with this next generation of faith that we call your family, your kids, that each day, that around the clock, there's something that's going on that reminds them that God is real and that God loves them and that God created us and God has a purpose for our life and that God's Son is, is a sacrifice for us in order to be His sons by salvation. And that is the challenge. Now we also have a challenge for, for anyone here this morning whose life has maybe gotten off track a little bit. Maybe your life has gotten off track. Maybe it's going in a direction that you know is wrong. It's one that you have grown increasingly uncomfortable with. And you know that, that there's more at stake than what you just do in the next 24 hours or in, in the next 10 minutes. That what really is at stake is all of eternity. Which makes, really, the next couple of minutes really, really important. If that describes you, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front during the singing of our next song. And, and the challenge to you is take this opportunity to be courageous and to be brave and to take that first step in the right direction towards writing your life. And that may be through counsel and that may be through Bible study, but it is certainly through the prayers of the church. And if there's any way that we can minister to you, we want those, those needs to be made known today. Or if you've never made Jesus your Lord and God your Father through His sacrifice on the cross, these shepherds down here at the front are ready to receive you, to talk to you about how you become a son of God today. And if that describes you, come down to the front as we stand and praise God together. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold, there we 